This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Hello, hi y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. Aloha, y'all. All right, I wrapped up the uh, podcast that you're about to listen to now a few hours ago, and I really want to talk about, while it's in my heart, what a, um awesome, inspiring, charismatic, like youthful, ambitious, um, just overall dynamically amazing person this guest is, Equal McMahon. And you'll hear, I, I'm realizing because of the uh, substantial f- fans and followers and friends that he has, they'll probably tune into this and maybe be your first episode that you're listening to on the Break Normal podcast to uh, make sure that you know um, when we're referencing Tribe Vitamins, that is the official sponsor of this show. That was my pit bull stepping on. Uh, you probably heard me say Tribe Vitamins and got <laughs> a little energetic, but that's the official sponsor of this show in a lot of ways uh, of my life and uh, my family's lives and uh, so many other people's lives in the sense that they're getting that indigenous empowerment, that ancient nutrition for modern warriors those um, foods that were used as medicine before pharmacies ever existed. And if you look at the website, tribevitamins.com, what you'll see there are um, uh, 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison, liver and or other organs or combinations, uh, raw, freeze-dried, encapsulated, so that you can uh, basically have the true original multivitamin of the people that lived on this land uh, before Europeans ever arrived and thrived and uh it's amazing to see so many people thriving on these tribe vitamins today and we're obviously remembering a future that's going to get better and better with this project so i do think it's if you've ever heard of other organ supplements a vast majority of them basically are using um 100 grass-fed uh from my understanding, dairy cows from New Zealand, which might not be as ut- maybe older dairy cows, which might not be as utopian as some people imagine. So we decided to uh, make the manufacture the most quality version that we could and use the um, indigenous animals of North America that have thrived here before humans have, and um, got them there for you for your daily nutrition. Like it's like nutritional assurance in a lot of ways. If you do want to experiment for with it for the first time i would highly recommend using the bison liver for breakfast making that the first source of your significant calories and um not only is breaking normal podcast and a lifestyle and there's so many amazing people out there like eagle and other people i would love and i am excited to interview so please send your suggestions our way to daniel at breakingnormal.com and um that's my email address or my instagram daniel eisenman but um, you can also get the book Breaking Normal, which is the summary of when I hosted these wild retreats, wild health retreats for over a decade with my uh, friends, family, and a variety of amazing people that have been on this show. And the book is a summary, the golden thread of what I sort of captivated me most from those experiences and how you can... Uh, gain the empowerment from uh, trying some of the exercises in the comfort of your own home with your own loved ones because they really work as well. So we'll include a chapter of Breaking Normal at the end of this podcast as a 
teaser because you can go get it on Audible today. JP Sears does read the forward. And uh, without farther ado, whoo, here we go. Let's welcome Eagle to the show. Aloha, y'all. Here in Boulder, Colorado, in the, the bison den, the tribe vitamin heart quarters, uh, my home. And I'm sitting here with a, a recent friend, but a, a, someone that's quickly become a good friend, Eagle McMahon. Um, I was originally introduced to you through now our mutual friend, Jeremy Shalman, who's been mm-hmm. on the podcast. That one is called uh, Make Orwell Fiction Again. We were we just kind of discussed a lot of the. Have you listened to that one? Um, I don't think I've gotten to that one yet. No, we, we discussed a lot of the uh, controversial topics mid-pandemic, but it would probably be interesting to go back to now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting thinking about like uh, like the the podcasts that I've done in the last two years have been very affirming because a lot of the people that I've interviewed. Um, told me things that the general public didn't seem to adopt until like two years later, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So if you're tuning into the Breaking Room podcast, I'm going to project, and I think that's a good thing. And I'm really excited about this episode. Um, but I was introduced to you by Jeremy uh, as one of the best disc golfers in the world, and he lived mm-hmm. but nearby. And, you know, he's like kind of really like a fan of yours. And one day I think we were at Harlow um, Disc Golf course right down the road which i think you're playing at a tournament at this weekend yep exactly okay cool that's a beautiful course by the way i mean what a beautiful sport overall i'm so happy jeremy introduced me to your uh, dharma it seems Mm -hmm. but one of the days we were out there he's like that's eagle (laughs) and i was like how do you know he's like he's not even moving his feet and look how long he's throwing and like so i I don't know if you ever saw the instagram story but i shot an instagram story and and i was like this is eagle mcmahon and i got you on a drive did you ever happen to see that i think i briefly saw that and uh it's funny because that's not even where it kind of all started um back in november i think it was a little bit after that um of last year i called an uber for my girlfriend Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um you know it was she was trying to get from one place to her friend's house to get picked up to go play Wonderview, another disc golf course. And, uh, you know, I wasn't feeling too well that day. So I called her an Uber and, uh, Daniel was the Uber driver. And, uh, Ratana, my girlfriend said that he had some discs in his back seat and she immediately, uh, uh-huh. he's like, Oh, you play disc golf. And then she's, he's, she told me like, Oh, this guy's telling me to go listen to this podcast. And, uh, yeah, that was the first introduction. And he's like, you know, you got to have bison liver. And I'm like, oh, wow, quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, I may have given her my book that day. Because I, what I do, I drive around with the books and the bottles in the back okay. on display. Most of the time, I'm out of books currently. But um, And I, that day, I remember that very clearly because I went to go pick up Eagle. And I think I texted Jeremy because I was <laughs> Jeremy has started doing some Ubering too. Like this, By the way, a little side note, the side hustle of Ubering slash lifting if you can kind of hack the systems, especially in a small college town, um, and you have other products like mm-hmm. I do, I would say this is the ultimate side hustle because, firstly, I love the opportunity to meet all these cool people in mm-hmm. West Boulder where I live and get to know the neighborhoods. I like driving and I like talking to people while I drive and the synchronicities that all come along with it like that one. But I like last I didn't, if you, I didn't drive for Uber for a while, and then they mm-hmm. incentivized me with this big bonus, like two thousand dollars for one hundred and twenty rides. And because of all the small local college kids taking short rides, I can pretty much do that in the time of like where I'm getting paid seventy five dollars an hour, yeah, cash when I want it to 
advertise for my companies. So <laughs> I love it. And if anyone's listening that wants to maybe give it a go in your town, there's they also have affiliate links. And like Donald, who you've mm-hmm. met, who has been hanging around, he he did it, and he I got uh, hit for Lyft, and I got an eight hundred dollar bonus. So there's just like a lot of cool possibilities with side hustles these days. But I'm excited to talk to you about your main hustle, which yeah. is disc golf, because I I've never had a disc golfer or a golfer on the show. Um, and that uh, what happened after I dropped Ratana off, which was under the name Eagle, which already mm-hmm. struck my, struck me. Um, then we saw you on the disc golf course, and then I think I saw you like the next day or something very close to it, and I had like the 50 oysters in my hand or yep. something. I was like, wait, are you Eagle? Mm-hmm. And at that time, because I was carrying all these oysters, I think I told you like, oh yeah, I love doing this on Fridays, like one bucket chuck. <laughs> so Whole Foods does $1 shucking of oysters, fresh oysters shipped in overnight. And I'm like, yeah, this is one of the foods that I, I don't know if I told you that, but I think I did. I almost tell everyone. I'm like, this is one of the foods that where I feel like I had bison liver. Like I get mm-hmm. this, like the libido, stamina, focus, like ambition for life. And and then at that point, um, Jeremy knew like you were going through an injury and he's like, did he eat the, did you give him some oysters? Like he, he needs to like eat, Jeremy's like, he needs to eat like an animal based diet. He's like been a vegan mm-hmm. for so long. And he has these shoulder things going on. Like, maybe you can get him some bison liver. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, what, what in the world's going on here? And then the very next, I think it was the very next day or the day afterwards, like, you pull up in your awesome van. And Ratana rolls down the window. She's like, hey, it's Daniel. I'm like, what in the world? It's Eagle and Ratana. And, she, and she's eating beef liver chips. Yep, exactly. That I got for the first time yesterday that I gave to Davina. Oh. And she, Davina loved them. They were in her lunchbox today. So this is a, quite the vortex that we're in right now. No, it, it really is. How um, how would you say that the frequency of synchronicity? It was it was in full force for a while, and uh, you know that was probably late April, May, just before I uh, took the leap of faith to jump fully off the um, the the plant based ideology or uh, you know vegan ideology. You know I was thinking about it but uh you know the whole so many people i've connected with as of recently this year uh just uh really pointed me in the direction to make a a change for my own personal evolution and that that you know that started um at move chiropractic uh walked in and uh, immediately felt a connection with those guys dr travis dr Karch, sarah his wife and um ryan um you know, they 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 gave me a full body uh, exam and uh, really started helping me out because with with disc golf, it's a it's a long it's a long season that we we play each year. We travel all around the the country, the U.S., um, over to Europe, and uh, we're constantly we're constantly throwing rounds. And for people who don't know what disc golf is, think of the baseball season um, with uh, with golf. They're kind of like a, a similar type of uh, combination there. With baseball, you're you're starting in April and then ending in November if you know if you go the 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 playoffs. But uh, which is about to happen, I guess. The World yeah, Series, exactly. Yeah. But uh, you know, we, we expect a lot out of our bodies, and uh, a lot of a lot of uh, cons or notions of disc golfers is oh, you know, a bunch of uh, hippies going out to throw throw discs, but. Uh, at this point, it, it is a real sport. We're putting a lot of torque, a lot of twists on our body. So, uh, my personal trainer and my uh, uh, one of my uh, PTs say that I have one of the, the most interesting bodies that they ever 
worked with just because of how much uh, compensation and uh, the muscles that I use to, you know, operate. So going to move was a, a, a great, um, a great connection. And uh, one of the things that they, they started recommending me was Daniel's product, uh, Tribe Vitamins, Bison Liver. Uh, I brought my girlfriend and she was, uh, she, you know, we, we met three years ago and uh, she was vegan for a little bit, uh, pr- probably due to my influence, but, uh, you know, she has underlying anemia. Mm. And uh, one thing that Dr. Travis, Dr. Karch recommended was the, the tri-vitamins because of all the bioavailable uh, iron. And she started taking that and she definitely noticed an uptick in her energy. And uh, it definitely had me intrigued. I was a little bit behind her. She started taking the vice and liver. And then soon after I started, uh, you know, taking it as well as a you know i had my first steak this year which was a pretty crazy experience and when you say your first steak first steak since how long first steak since ever first actually that could be my dad always tells a story we were at some party when i was really young and uh they they got intoxicated and they were trying to raise me on a uh pescatarian slash vegetarian diet but uh apparently i found the 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 potluck table and uh i've got a hold of some london broil apparently and i i didn't stop eating it but that's the only instance where i can ever uh recall um any stories of me eating red meat so this year try to steak and uh i can honestly say there's not really anything like it in the in the plant-based world i always got the i always got the um the question what's your favorite food and uh, i never knew how to answer it but i can say a good steak is (laughs) <laughs> pretty much at the top of the list now wow wow from never having it to the first time having it to being your favorite food that's very fascinating but, but yeah the the whole the whole evolution this year has been really powerful because last year i suffered a shoulder injury i sublexed my shoulder throwing a disc golf shot that uh was essentially a shot that you should never throw it was just you know you were with some friends in a in a studio messing around and uh I threw my shoulder out of socket. In a studio? In a studio. We were doing a, a slow motion uh, disc golf shoot. Wow. Uh, wow. With these really expensive red cameras. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have. Me. I have the Sony Reds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just really high um, FPS trying to get the, the utmost detail. And uh, it was just between a shot that I, uh, you know, c- gave this crazy throw a try. And uh, my, you know, I was taxed out from the previous week of playing a long tournament and uh, threw my shoulder out of socket uh, temporarily, but it popped back in. So it gave it gave me the notion that it wasn't anything bad. I had to drop out of the tournament I was playing the the following, which just so happened to be the the final tournament of the year. So I did my best to rehab over the off season. I've always since 2018, I've done my best to uh, take my health seriously in terms of you know physical fitness. Uh, I went to Switzerland back then to uh, essentially go undergo a paradigm shift, uh, a boot camp, if you will. Me and my friend Simon Lazat, uh, we were funded by our company to go train in Switzerland um, under uh, a trainer named Andy Gerch and his wife, Irene. We lived with them for a month. And uh, we trained every single day, ran uh, resistance training, uh, took track of our, our macros, like did homework, researched exercise science, and ever since then, I've always taken upon myself to be, you know, physically fit. And uh, with the, the injury this offseason, I figured uh, building up my body was crucial to getting back out on tour and uh, playing at the highest level. And uh, I had a great offseason. 
Um, but uh, it didn't seem like it was quite enough. Um, I got back out and, you know, I've known for, for the people who don't know what disc golf is, uh, there's a couple different ways of throwing. Um, disc golf is so unique in the fact that uh, there's, you can be so creative with how you choose to throw the Frisbee or disc. And uh, the main way I like to throw is backhand, which is essentially like, uh, think of tennis, backhanding, um, uh, uh, the backhand striking the ball. And there's also forehand, which is more conventional to like um, like a, a baseball pitch, and uh, you know, I, almost like a sidearm, like a sidearm pitch, pitch yep. exactly. And uh, I wasn't able to do that uh, as well as I might like. Um, so uh, that was due to the shoulder injury, which I soon came to realize that uh, I had a, a mild tear in my labrum, which. Uh, which prevented me from doing such. So uh, I had. How'd to, you figure that out? Um, I I played two events to start the year, and uh, you know I didn't feel like my game was at the the level I wanted it to be. Um, you know, due to you know maybe some mental limitations and just the fact that I've, I'm used to having a tool that I didn't have anymore, or to a very uh, small degree. So uh, after those two events, I was. Just, planning to go back out on tour and continue to play but instead i decided okay i should get an mri and uh get to the bottom of the problem and uh that that helped because it gave me um gave me a roadmap on where to go in the future so uh working with um you know s- some professionals some uh orthopedists i i weighed the options of potential surgery and it didn't seem like that was what i wanted to do quite yet just uh cuz uh you know the turnaround time that on that is uh, quite a long time, and plus, uh, you know, not all surgeries are successful. So I wanted to go with a more uh, conservative approach, which ended up being uh, a stem cell therapy, which I, I got that done here in Boulder. I looked at the the best clinics in town, and it seemed to be uh, uh, one that was here called Rocky Mountain Regenerative Medicine, which I got the stem cell shot, and this was, uh, you know, this this all ties into that evolution of, of me, you know, transitioning off of. Uh, a plant-based diet um, because right at this point when I got the stem cell shot, which was in late May or early June, at that point, that's when I you know, was taking tri-vitamins, taking, uh, you know, starting to consume more animal products. And uh, I figured it was a great time to, you know, kind of combine those two for the, the ultimate, you know, healing, uh, the ultimate, uh, let's just say, transformation. Well, I can't believe how synchronous this is because I don't—I haven't told many people this, and I don't think you know. But I uh, about three weeks ago, three no, no, more like two and a half weeks ago, it was like a Monday, so I hadn't worked mm-hmm. out for the weekend, and I took elk antler, you know, mm-hmm. the, the antler liver heart. I was amped. I had all mm-hmm. the good, and I was in the gym, and I was like doing a lot of pull-ups as usual, but more than usual. Like mm-hmm. I was doing muscle-ups mixed wow. with weighted pull-ups going back and forth and I did these on my last set I had a really wide grip pull up like what really like it almost hurts to do this really wide grip pull up on 70 pounds strapped to me and I was doing like a set of five, five mm-hmm. like five and I think on my fourth one my shoulders came out really yeah with all that weight on my waist and oh my at gosh. first I was like oh because my shoulder had come out before when I was boxing like in college I like with some friends it came out and then it came out a few for the next few years, it came out like every once in a while, like surfing or something mm-hmm. that jolted it, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. But this time, 
I couldn't. T- I didn't know how bad it was, and I just kept walking around. And I and I haven't done a pull up since then. I haven't. I, I that night I could barely lift my head over my my head, and it was hard for me to sleep. And um, now I've just been doing things I can do, like more farmer carries. But I have not been able to do a pull up. I've also questioned. Like I bet if I went to a doctor or an MRI, I might hear mm-hmm. similar news. Mm-hmm. And then I was like thinking, so why would I, but what would be the use? Like, what did you get out of your MRI? That's what I'm curious about. Um, like what help, what, how that helped you make a decision? Well, I think, you know, the power of the mind is, is very prevalent in anything you do. Um, and I have a whole, a whole host of people that uh, I can seek, you know, professional advice from, whether it be my trainer, my PT, orthopedists. Um, and one thing I was aware of that my labrum could be torn when I was getting the MRI. But, um, you know, my one trainer, Seth Muncie, says, you know, there's, there's countless baseball pitchers that have tears in their shoulder and they still go out there and pitch. It just de- depends on the severity and, you know, how your body learns to adapt. Um, but you know, just given the fact that I wasn't performing how I'm used to, and, uh, you know, it is, it is my chosen crafts and the way I I make a living that I feel, you know, I owe it to my sponsors. I owe it to myself to at least get to the bottom of the issue and, or at least have a better understanding or have a better understanding of what my situation was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was playing baseball and I was there were scouts and we were thinking about playing college to so maybe bridging the gap to professional i had i got a shoulder situation and that mm-hmm. i did get an mri and it was in I, they would call it an impingement and they mm-hmm. also offered surgery i did not do that route but i never threw a baseball as fast as i yeah. at least i have never clocked in as fast as i was i was i went from like 81 to 86 to a uh, shoulder injury mm-hmm. to never really throwing that hard again yeah so I can relate to that, but I remember on the MRI, they like ejected ink and they had to like, when they put the needle in, they were like, man, you have a lot of scar tissue wow. in your shoulder. Like, it, and they were like really trying to jam that thing in my shoulder. I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. did you do that part? Did they uh, ink um, part? I, I got the ink, but they, uh, they had it, uh, injected intravenous. Okay. Intravenously. So, uh, they weren't just like injecting it straight into like the shoulder capsule. Wow. So that that maybe some uh, development uh, in that in that area, and then going through the stem cell, that's pretty that's pretty breaking normal. Yeah, I mean, I you know I I think it's become very popularized because of people like Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. and um, I do want to mention him again. But that, what tell me about that? Like, what if there's probably so many people that might listen to this or like that are on the fence about getting some sort of stem cell mm-hmm. treatment for something. Yeah. What do you what do you what is your understanding of what stem cells are and what's your experience of using them? So we can go down a whole rabbit hole about this and I'll I'll try to explain it the best of my knowledge. I did uh I did as much research as I could because the stereotype of stem cell is you go to a foreign country and uh essentially some sort of like uh you know, some sort of fetal tissue that you use. And that can be true to a certain t- degree, but mainly some of the more popular stem cell clinics are um, in, you know, more remote places, Panama, you know, the Cayman Islands, things along those lines. Um, and they do use placenta, which uh, 
sounds kind of scary, but they, there's ways of sourcing it. Like I heard that one placenta can have over a thousand thousands or maybe even more uses. So it can be pretty effective. But that type of stem cell therapy is not recommended for everyone because um, your body may reject that uh, that's that type of injection because those cells are foreign to your body. It's coming from a different source, mm -hmm. you know, say, you know, another, another, you know, another person, another person's, you know, placenta, that kind of stuff can, you know, create sort of a reaction. And what is that? What would be a potential rejection or a reaction? You know, you know, potential, potentially some sort of, you know, growth, you know, cancer Ooh, cell. Yeah, that things. sounds kind of scary. And yeah. like, they, at least this is what my, um, my, my stem cell doctor told me. And he said, you know, that's, that's good if your stem cells that you produce aren't very harvestable or say, you know, aren't that, let's say vital anymore. So, you know, if you're, if you have some sort of underlying disease or you're older, you know, that's could be a potentially a really great option to get, um, you know, maybe a placenta, uh, d derived stem cell treatment. But, you know, for a younger person, there's a few different ways of extracting your stem cells. And one is, uh, a, via a bone marrow graph, which <laughs> they take your own bone marrow and they, um, it's funny we're talking about bone marrow. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's been a big part of, so people know, a big part of our conversations <laughs> about how to eat a really powerful uh, diet with using animal products. So mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if you've experimented much, but I know we've talked about it. Yeah. I, for instance, Davina, I think her favorite food is chicken wings dipped in bone marrow. Okay. Like she'll dip her chicken wing in the femur bone. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's like her favorite mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, the, they, they extract your bone marrow and the, they take those cells and culture expand your them. Your own bone marrow. Your own okay, bone marrow. Wow. They culture expand them and wow. then inject that into whatever the trouble area is. And the stem cells essentially are what send a smoke signal to your body to send the, the healing uh, nutrients to essentially heal the, the wound or whatever type of trouble you're having. And PRP works... Uh, similarly, which is a platelet-rich plasma, um, which is es essentially like the stem cell's baby brother. Uh, but the stem cells are some of the more powerful um, you know, healing uh, options that are available. Um, what I chose to do, which was a less invasive, because with the bone marrow graft, yes. you can, um, you know, it's going to weak, it's going to weaken you for a, a period of time, and it's going to be very painful to ex with that extraction process. The other option is to extract it via adipose tissue. So, essentially, I got liposuction just above my my butt and um they they took that they culture expanded those cells and how, when you say like are you did they, did they take like a half a pound what do you mean they, how much do you do you know how much they took fat? um what was the i'm trying to think of the measurement uh, essentially it was probably like you know two ounces of my own okay, um, okay. like very very little okay cool. but <laughs> but there's like there i have two little scars um oh, wow just my lower back and uh, you know they culture expanded that, and that's the least invasive uh, type of cell. Yeah, how you can was get. that? Was that painful? Was um, it, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. You know, I, I, I was, I went back out on tour. I was playing disc golf the next the next day, so it, oh, okay. it, it wasn't bad. I was still moving around, just uh, you know, some some gauze and you know, keeping the the area clean mm -hmm. afterwards. But they culture expanded that and sent it to a lab in Florida. Uh, it took like three or four weeks for them to, you know, expand those cells wow. for it to be ready to inject into my troubled area, which is the the shoulder, um, right into the labrum. I, you know, flash forward to June, 
I almost faint when they inject uh, the 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 stem cells into the area. But you almost fainted. Why? Why do you just, think that might just, be? Just because a, a big needle going into okay, your I shoulder. I wasn't sure cap. if it was like the. It wasn't painful or anything. I think it was just me psyching myself out more than more than anything. But after that was you know was pretty much fine. My shoulder was maybe stiff for maybe like ten days. They wanted you to keep the movement to you know very mild. Um, you know, no heavy lifting or anything like that. But uh, just to give the the stem cells a chance to you know signal the healing process, and uh, you know I, I definitely could tell you know two three weeks that my sh- shoulder started feeling better. Um, right now, um, you know, flash forward probably th- three or four months after the procedure, n- noticeable differences in the shoulder. Uh, I can't say it's a hundred percent healed because I'm still working on getting my uh, sidearm slash forehand back, but. I am up to about, you know, 330, 350 feet on a sidearm. And, you know, that that might be with stem cells, but also, you know, I'm seeing a, tra- a really great trainer plus this uh, this new uh, paradigm of eating some of the, in my opinion, the most nutrient-dense foods that uh, I've ever consumed before. So that's, uh, I think that definitely plays a factor. But, you know, flash forward six weeks of the stem cell, uh, you know, in the disc golf world, it's similar to golf. There's a, uh, there's these tour events and there's also majors and I go to Europe to play and uh, I'm not playing disc golf that much leading up to this point, maybe two or three weeks. I start throwing some shots, um, you know, per doctor's order says, you know, you don't want, you don't want to go out and do anything crazy. Uh, you don't want to uh, overstress yourself, but, you know, go, you know, throw a few shots. And I start ramping up before going to Europe because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to go to this event, which is uh, a PDGA major in Finland. And, uh, you know, hopefully compete but if i'm just over there then i'm gonna get a sweet vacation um but you know slowly ramped up started feeling good we uh we we take the flight over the pond and i start playing and you know everyone's all my peers over there is asking like are you gonna play and i'm like yeah probably like i'm not even sure if i'm gonna finish this tournament or not and uh it wasn't in finland it was in finland you said finish and i was like it reminded me to tell people yeah yeah, nokia finland wow so Just play the practice rounds and, uh, you know, feeling good and uh, start playing the tournament. And I just, I don't know, it just felt so right. I uh, just found my, found my flow and played this uh, PDJ major, which is, I would, I would say it's probably the third biggest tournament of the year. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, I was able to, you know, go to the head-to-head with Paul McBeth, who is, you know, arguably, and, you know, I would say, in my opinion, the best player of all time and, you know, take him down at the end. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's a very powerful story, you wow. know, just coming off of so much adversity of having the shoulder injury, having the, you know, people projecting their own opinions on what I should do, what they mm-hmm. think of me, as well as, you know, overcoming some stuff of my own uh, with, with uh, the concept of being injured, the concept of, you know, switching, um, off a plant-based diet that I pretty much adhered to for, you know, 10 years of my life. So it was just a, it was a really great time and uh, a really great triumph to essentially keep me on the, the, the trajectory that I'm currently on. So, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for, you know, all the people who helped me get to that point, you know, move Daniel with tribe, Jeremy Shulman, like there, there's definitely been, a powerful paradigm shift in Boulder, you know, this, this year for me, like uh, a lot of amazing things are moving in the right directions. And, you know, my, my girlfriend has been supportive. She's been on the ride with me. So it was my dad. So it's, uh, it's been really powerful. Wow. Wow. 
Yeah, I feel that. And thank you. Thank you for um, believing that in any way I supported you. And I do, but I do feel like I am bridging this. You know, there's a big plant medicine mm-hmm. <laughs> movement in our world. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I guess I'm a distributor of animal medicine mm-hmm. because this stuff works. Yeah. And for it to just to, for that to all to be part of your journey, because there's other athletes that are using it, especially fighters. Mm-hmm. But just for the the amazing part of the story of you, ten plus years you were on a vegan diet. Um, give or give or take. Um, I was vegan since I was like, I believe, twelve or thirteen years old. Wow. Um, and prior to that, a, a pescatarian style diet, you know, with large influence from my parents who went raw vegan when I was around five years old, vegan prior to that. And uh, my dad stuck with that, that, uh, that idea for seven years and then transitioned to a vegan diet. So it's safe to say that uh, veganism or plant-based, like it's so funny because when I say veganism, it's, uh, people don't even consider veganism a diet. It's more of a, an ideology. Well, well, this is where our story goes way back before we even knew each other. And I don't know if your dad, I don't know if I remember talking to your dad about that or not, if he knew about the raw bras, but we were on our own raw vegan experiment mm-hmm. sounding simultaneously, potentially as your parents. And uh, it is, for us, it was definitely more than a diet. Yeah. Oh, we were, we found the holy grail. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, we can eat all this food, feel great, buzz around like a hummingbird. Lose a pound a day. Yeah. That was an issue. That became an issue after about a half a year. <laughs> yeah. Because we stopped losing a pound a day after about 20 or 30 days. But um, eating all that fruit, oh my gosh, like in this, living in the tropics and all mm-hmm. the coconut water. I mean, like it really shifted our whole life to learn mm-hmm. to learn and appreciate and love food more. Yeah. And But it got a little slippery with this like, oh, we're only eating the flesh of the ovaries of these yeah. fallen fruits from these trees and like propagating the, it was like, it became a little religious in a way to where when the diet wasn't working the same way it did in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And because we had a fan base, you know, the Rob Ross, the beginning of the Rob Ross was all about yeah. like the raw vegan diet and like eating for like 30 bananas a day, like just send it. Yeah. Like, if you're hungry, all the fruit you want, no problem. And you'll still lose a pound a day. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yep. I, I definitely adhere to like some, I tried multiple styles of vegan diet, the whole food plant-based diet, junk food vegan. Um, junk eight, food vegan. See, the, I don't even know about that. The, the, the 80-10-10 diet, oh, which yeah. I remember okay. watching people like the durian rider. Yeah, um, yeah. Like 30 bananas a day. And exactly. I was like convinced that just have these like 15 banana smoothies with tons of dates in it. And I'm like, looking back, I, I that definitely wasn't good for me at the time. <laughs> but you know what? I, I made it through. Um, but yeah, the, what you said, like it does caring about what you eat definitely gives you a greater perspective on, on life. Cause that's, that's what the vegan diet or did for me, um, with my upbringing, it taught me, you know, where food comes from. It taught me like, you know, to be mindful of what you consume. And I, I can't thank it enough for that, but you know, it's come 2019. Um, it's funny little synchronicity here. I I started going to uh, Boulder movement collect collective now known as apeco mm-hmm. and uh one of the they 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 study under ito portal mm-hmm. the ito portal method mm-hmm. and uh i got really into that that type of practice because i felt like you know it was so diverse and i could apply it to disc golf 
and uh, went down the Ido Portal rabbit hole. And I was looking through interviews, and uh, it was funny. I didn't realize till this year, but the Rob Ross did an Ido Portal interview. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll be real specific about this. Timothy interviewed him. Mm-hmm. I edited the video, and I did it with Nako Bear's music. Wow. And this was the most viral video that him or that I know of, him or the Rob Ross have ever done. It hit a million views, I believe, or it was very close to it. And at that time, that was a big deal for us. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't a million views of like a cat falling off a house, landing on its no. feet. It was like a million views of a lot of people or a lot of people watching the whole thing and studying everything that he said, mm-hmm. including him saying like, I won't even train a vegan. <laughs> yeah. And then I it somehow it got removed because I think he kind of that was the one part of that interview mm-hmm. he didn't really love I don't think is my guess um, how it could be taken out of context yeah because I I remember when I was watching it I was vegan I was you know <laughs> I I was pissed I was like why you why are, is Edo, like if I go I can't train with Edo Portal so that definitely you know got the wow know, that that got the got me a little heated um at the time because you know that that's just what that's just kind of par for the course when you're a vegan if you hear like something that opposes your viewpoint because you believe it's you know the best diet ever uh you know you're you're bound to you know get a little frustrated but that was kind of what planted the seed because i saw you know matt bernstein and you know zach finer all the people who train at uh at Boulder Movement Collective, they're doing these incredible things, like what they can do with their body. I have so much respect for them. And, you know, I, I haven't been there in a while. Um, but, you know, the second the second I get the opportunity to go back there again, you know, really train on under that curriculum, I definitely want to go back because I absolutely love it. Um, but that, that planted the seed. Um, you know, I started to, you know, question, you know, whether, you know, what am I putting in my body? Is this what's right for me? And then, you know, you know, soon things, you know, started to, you know, to, to compound, I heard some, uh, some podcasts like one podcast I really enjoyed at the time was the minimalists. I'm not sure if you know who they are. Well, they essentially, you know, preach living with less and, uh, Good just, just, uh, you know, essentially just, you know, it's not about, uh, material possessions. Their, their whole thing is love people use things. Like when people say, I love my car, I love this disc. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, those are, those are things, um, you gotta, you know, the whole paradigm of, you know, looking at people as, you know, the treasure rather than, you know, the, the, the materialistic view of the world. So, you know, that, that was one podcast I really enjoyed and they had Paul Saladino on oh, wow. the, the carnivore MD. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember listening, like kale is kale bullshit. And like, what, this is, <laughs> this is a whole tough pill to swallow. Like all the vegetables mm-hmm. I eat on a daily basis. And like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, I disagree with some of his points, you know, you know, just from my own anecdote evidence of eating food but you know it, it, there's a lot to explore because he preaches a, a more you know paleo traditional ancestral style life and uh, it wasn't until like him and then you know just it was just a matter of time that I just started consuming more and more media like looking at certain studies and uh, you know making the decision for myself and I think the greatest thing is just look at our ancestors and look at the evolution like Probably the people who are vegan today are the first people to eat vegan in their whole lineage. And it's, it's, it's a trial period. Like, you, you know, there's certain people that probably can thrive on that diet. And I'm not going to doubt that. But in order to thrive, it's probably, you know, getting tons of blood work done, getting, uh, you know, the right supplementation. Whereas 
if you get some dry vitamins, it's pretty much all taken care of. And when I'm playing disc golf, I, I ask a lot out of my body. I want to feel the greatest energy. I want to feel the greatest performance. And if it's a one-stop shop with, you know, bison liver and, uh, you know, some, you know, some powerful, you know, bone marrow steak, things along those lines, you know, I, I don't think you can really argue with, you know, where we evolved from. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's great to hear. I am curious. You know, you mentioned the steak thing. Is the bison liver the first red meat that went into your system? It Other was. than that London broil, maybe when you were five years old. Yep. Wow, that's that's a great start for anyone that's listening that might be like inspired to, um, you know, make sure like, like wait, is my diet more like an idealism slash religiousosity or and or is it's what's best work for my body and my like that was i think i i've thought about this a lot obviously yeah and because it can be an ethical thing in all the respect to the world because i have met some beings that are thriving long term yeah one in particular that i know and that gets interesting when I have to, I think of one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I know even your dad, you said your dad was doing a vegan for a, a diet for a long term and your dad seems mm-hmm. sharp as like, a tack oh, to me. I, he seems like the man. I, I just made essentially like a coming out video saying I'm not vegan anymore to because I, I feel like personally, you know, my, my brand was built upon me being a plant-based athlete to a certain degree. Obviously, a lot of people, a lot of disc golfers probably are impartial that they don't really care. Um, but I felt like I, it was important for me to address it to my fan base just uh, to give them the option, whether if they want to continue to support me, because, you know, I, I feel like full transparency is always the, the key in the long run. Um, but it's funny. My dad hasn't made a coming out video yet. So I guess this. Is- oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Well, you know, we can edit this part. I, out. I, I, you, I, you, we can ask him about it. I didn't think about that. <laughs> I, I think we'll probably leave it in. I think it's probably. Okay, because uh, uh, you know if if you know if people know that I'm not vegan, I don't think people are really going to care. <laughs> maybe maybe he has like old school vegan friends, but you know. Well, I want to give a shout out to him just for being awesome. I think that yeah. a lot of uh, how inspiring you are to me and countless others has a lot to do with him. Oh, he's an incredible father figure. Like, um, it's so funny when I see other people interact with their their dads. Um, it's like you can tell that there's like a weird little you know reluctancy between their conversation you know they can be really close but you know when i talk to my dad i feel like he's like just he's my best friend i can talk to him about anything Mm. so like you know thank you for giving a shout out to him because he is awesome yeah i would love to have him on the podcast one day oh that'd be that'd be incredible and uh that's very that's just such a as me being a dad myself that's uh very touching what you're saying about pat is what is that what people call him (laughs) pat what do you call him dad I call him dad. Yeah. Dad, nice. Wow. I mean, there's a, on this coming out of uh, not being a vegan, I, I've, I like to listen. Lately, I've been listening to podcasts and or books when mm-hmm. I work out. And uh, the two of the podcasts I listened to recently were with Joe Rogan and Rick Rubin. Okay. And then Joe Rogan and the lead singer of, I'm forgetting his name right now, but the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anthony Kiedis. Yes. Yeah. Have you listened to either one of those? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you listen to both of them? I listened to both of them. Well, that or was... I listened to tidbits of the Rick Rubin one. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's just like interesting. You know, there's this idea when you're looking for something, you see more of it. And both of those guys, a lot of that podcast was about uh, them being a vegan and yeah. then not being and thriving now, mm-hmm. like figuring out how to thrive more by shifting that paradigm within their own lives. Mm-hmm. So this conversation, in a way, seems quite alive, and it might have something to do with just like the collective consciousness and this potential propaganda that's 
being posed upon, mm-hmm. like with the bug protein and the whole yeah. certain people buying up a lot of farmland that are in big tech, and all of a sudden a lot of like animal ranches. Mm-hmm. There's something brewing. Yeah, because you know I think it's it's capitalizing on what uh, you know the good in people's heart because I I believe that you know veganism you know stemmed from a place of you know kindness and compassion to start because you know who doesn't want to care for the animals who doesn't want a brighter future for the planet but then it can get kind of cloudy because if you're sold you know beyond meat uh, bug protein and you know know these huge entities you know put pump you know making large amounts of money then that's like that's where it gets kind of cloudy yeah it's like basically the most scalable products possible sourced from monocropping using uh catalysts such as sprays like this freaking petition i just sent you i signed it yeah <laughs> yeah there's some one of my friends who's been on the podcast aaron Minsky. she's awesome she's a mom of like four she's just a superhero she notified me they like I guess Boulder does this thing where helicopters spray glyphosate slash Roundup on some of the crops out there. And I'm like, <laughs> and have I they done it. this before? <laughs> she says yes. She says she's, they've been doing it for a while and they might not be able to stop it. Like they're going to start in Lions. Really? I know it's like amazing to me because isn't there like billions and billions of dollars of lawsuits against these companies, uh, specifically either Bayer or Monsanto that owns Roundup because of the correlation of so many health issues with this uh, spray and that mm-hmm. chemical and especially people that distribute it. And I'm just like, wow, for Boulder being so smart, they're just going to literally spray like all this stuff near like families, pets, dogs, like uh food on our food really yeah like uh you know shout out to golden hoof alice you know the sh- they make honey and like one thing i've heard like paul saladino preaches glyphosate free honey and that can be really hard to get because bees have a radius of maybe like 20 25 miles and if you're getting honey from your local you know mom and pop shop that's probably going to be glyphosate honey if it's if that's the case which is really very troubling you know especially for the local wildlife you know the residential areas Mm -hmm. you know residential agriculture that's a it's very troubling and you know i i I prompt anybody to go sign this petition because it's very important yeah what i'll do about that because you know i think uh what's most personal is most universal and if a influential city like boulder could all of a sudden stop such nonsense i can't believe it's even happening in the first place um i'll see if we can attach a link to that because apparently the more signatures the better um and we'll see i'm not sure the timeline on it but if you're listening to that and to feel inspired maybe you find out about that in your own city because it's really not fair um that i, I think this is just uh, it's uh, almost an honor to be in the know i, I think mm-hmm. this stuff has been going on and who, el- who else knows what's going on but when we know something that we can help upgrade i think uh, that's our call to action to living this grand life the other thing about these like uh, relevant conversations is the shoulder thing. I think I heard, I was listening to some podcasts as well with the Liver King, mm-hmm. and he he has a shoulder issue going on. And I watched the UFC fight, and I saw this guy's shoulder to get dislocated. Yeah, and I'm just amazed. At, um, yeah, I don't know what that all means either, but I find that interesting. The shoulder's an interesting joint. It's the most uh, hypermobile joint in the body, and. Uh, there's so much that ties into keeping that shoulder joint stable. And if one of those players isn't up 
up for the challenge, then that's when you know problems can occur. Like uh, you know, if you're your subscap or your uh, Terry's minor, if one of those isn't working or as strong as it should be, it just takes that to throw it out of socket. And uh, the way a dislocation works or a subluxation is the labrum is kind of the last line of defense, which holds the shoulder in place. Think of it as like a little suction cup. Mm -hmm. And as it gets pulled out of place, there's a chance of damaging that suction cup. So when it goes back into socket, there'll be, you know, a flap or a tear, which if it's your last line of defense, if your muscles aren't working correctly and keeping everything in place, then it can slip out of socket a little bit easier. And you know, that's how you're going to have a little bit more pain and you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, um, my, when my, uh, I remember going to the doctor, they kind of said my shoulders, I have so much laxity in them. It's a bit of like a double-edged sword. And it's a lot of what like professional pitchers have. They can sling their arm really hard, but they mm -hmm. have a lot of, uh, inflammation and issues that arise from that. Yeah. And, um, I would, I, for me, my perspective, and this is a reminder, I think I'm just saying it out loud, like, when that happened to my shoulder, that was nothing for me to get down about. It was like more for me to get inspired. Okay, what can I what can I do? Because maybe I'm mm -hmm. supposed to focus on something else. Yeah, I kind of always take those things that are happening for my body as a sign to direct my next step. If that makes sense, I don't know if that resonates with you, but maybe someone out there. No, definitely. Um, on that torque, and you mentioned like how when you're training with a trainer, you're really doing a lot of torque and twist. And that's mm -hmm. such a relevant thing in all sports. I mean, baseball, mm -hmm. tennis, hockey. It's like that uh, generating power from thrusting your hips. Mm -hmm. You, have, What do you think? I mean, do you have any of the best things? You, like for shoulders, I think like when I was capable, <laughs> and I trust I will be soon, pull-ups are amazing. Pull-ups and hanging are amazing for my shoulders. Absolutely. What's the most amazing things you've done for generating power out of your hips with those torques and twists? <laughs> Well, I, I, I got to say that I've start, I started playing disc golf when I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, you know, my, uh, my talent, I would say, comes from me playing a lot when I was younger, just becoming familiar with the movement then. And with the work I put in, it just compounded into something I was really good at because I, I can't say I did really any training other than playing disc golf growing up. And uh, which demands like kind of in the way because you're measuring how far you're throwing and everything every throw demands more and more power out of your thrust or hips or yeah twist. so i created a lot of power by playing disc golf and what i'm trying to do right now is stabilize the muscles that you know put out the power but also decelerate because with all that power if you can't have a uh you know a stabilizer at the end of it to uh you know you know, decelerate it, you're kind of working with a glass cannon. So what I've been really working to do, you know, I've worked with, you know, shout out to Disc Golf Strong, shout out to um, the trainer I'm working with right now, Tommy Flanagan at a, a gym called uh, Strength to Strength. Um, we really focus on stability, uh, making sure the muscles are able to, you know, activate and, uh, you know, work accordingly. Um, and then, uh, you know, Tommy, who's, you know, I'm work training with four times a week right now, He's kind of like the the mad scientist. He's like always he's been buying like a bunch of different um, tools for me to start working with because he, uh, you know, he he knows the body so well. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of it has to do with like push up holds, um, a lot of like QL, like uh, lateral type of movements, um, working through like uh, 
working through pull-ups, but in different types of ways, uh, just kind of breaking it down and really isolating the movement. It's really about quality over quantity to make sure the muscles move how they're supposed to. Um, you know, the, the, the whole, the whole mus- muscular complex of the body is so, com- it, it, it's so intricate that I can't even like, you know, desc- I can't, I don't have time or I don't even know how to describe it, but you know, his whole, his whole thing is just get, lay a large foundation first to make sure everything's moving and your, your posture is right. And then you can start building strength. Okay. So it almost sounds like you're, you're working more per, like now you're working more on control than just sheer out power, which is like kind of a little different than like a baseball player. Cause I think most baseball hitters, they go up and they want to hit the ball hardest as they can. They might hit it in different ways. Yeah. But they are trying to, they're not trying to take it you're like what mm-hmm. was that description you used at the end like trying to control it so it's not just a glass canyon yeah because if you know <laughs> if, if you're if you're throwing all your weight into your hips that aren't stable and can't handle that then you're gonna you're gonna wear them down and that's how you're gonna have a, a oh, long lasting a long okay. lasting injury okay so you're in this for the long haul too obviously I mean, yes. you've been in it for the long haul do you what's your how are you remembering this disc golf future and however you want to share that because you even said that it's like a real, you know, it's becoming a real sport, and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm imagining that's because of people like you. I I like to think so. Um, I definitely have a, a large influence, and I'm grateful that um, I'm able, I was able to, you know, create that. Um, but for my my goal, you know, first is foremost is is health and longevity. You know, you can tie that into disc golf, but there's athletes who get done, you know, bodybuilding or baseball, football, who get done playing their sport and they can't even walk. And that's always a risk if you're doing anything involving throwing. Tommy, my trainer, he he always says one of the most violent things you can do other than getting hit in the face is throwing an object because you're contracting all the muscles and then you're trying to decelerate as soon as you throw said object. So that can have a massive wear and tear on your body especially if you're doing it you know an average disc golf round if you're playing a a par 54 course you're going to be throwing anywhere from 40 to 70 shots a day um and that's just in a tournament round you know you're throwing hundreds of putts before warm-up throws and then practice rounds you're probably throwing close to 150 to 200 shots each day so that those shots add up very quickly and it's always throwing of an object, which is going to wear you down. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Is there anything you want to make sure that we talk about that we have not talked about just in case we get caught up in another rabbit hole with our remaining time? We went down a lot of good rabbit holes. I, you know, so far I think we've had a, a pretty great conversation. Um, I can't really, you know, touch on too many more things unless we go down another rabbit hole. Well, I am curious. When you were in Switzerland, where were you at in Switzerland? I've never been there. I want to go there. Uh, you've traveled. You've traveled quite a bit. I know you were recently, like you said, in Finland, winning championships, and then you were in Iceland right around that mm-hmm. same time. And I mean, Iceland and Switzerland are two places, and and Finland. I, I'd like to be exposed a little bit to their sauna culture. Oh, it's amazing! And it seems like that you got immersed in. So, anything you want to say about Switzerland, Iceland, or Finland? I'm happy to hear about that as well. Yes, yeah, Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland. I was in. Uh, a little village, probably an hour to 45 minutes outside the capital, which is Bern. Um, it's kind of like, uh, it's on the German speaking side, 
Uh, we're like an hour and a half away from the Alps. Uh, on a clear day, we were at looking over this lake that you could see the Swiss Alps. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, but we basically stayed put there because we were training at, at the Irene and Andy's house the whole time. Um, so, you know, I, I recommend Switzerland to anyone. It was the most expensive place I've ever been to. Oh, uh, really? Interesting. You know, for, fortunately, you know, my sponsor, Dismania, paid for the trip for Simon and I. Uh, but, man, if you want to go get, like, a meal, you're going to probably spend $100, 100 US dollars just for, like, at a normal restaurant. Interesting. See, Extremely expensive. Okay. Okay. Good to note. And then, uh, you know, Finland. Finland's an incredible place. Like, the sauna culture. Uh, there's five million. There's the population's like five point five million, and I think you know roughly there's three million saunas there. It's just so ingrained in their culture, uh, probably because during the winter it gets cold and dark, and you really want to get warm. Um, so, uh, every house essentially has a sauna in it. That's awesome. Come and on. I think there's some st statistics that. Uh, you know, so the people in Finland lower their all-cause mortality by like 30 to 40% just the fact that they have access to sauna. You well, know? I've heard statistics about this and how, yeah. and then when I, when my sauna is working or the steam shower, I like steam showers, but that getting that heat, that extreme heat and that extreme cold just seems mm -hmm. to be so beneficial at the right dose. Yeah. And like the, the Finnish sauna culture over there compared to here, you know, first off, the average sauna you get at like a rec center or a gym here is not hot at all. It probably goes to like 140, 150 degrees. In in Finland, I want to say the minimum is probably 180 to 200. <laughs> nice. So it gets it gets way hotter. And uh, here, you know, you, you get the sign that says, "Please don't throw water oh, yeah, on yeah, the sauna." Okay. Which in Finland, that's what it's all about. You you get you fill up a big old bucket of water. You put some sort of like uh, essential oil in it, and uh, you get this huge ladle and you do hits. Because then it gets the steam. Like once you do a hit, you know it hits you in the face. It's like painful almost. <laughs> Your skin is tingling, and then uh, you know you let it cool off. It, the steam settles, and then you throw another one on there, and you know you go for four or five rounds of that. Oh, that and so nice. Traditionally, this is fun. The the Finns cut off birch branches of the trees, and they like uh, tie them all together. And one of the sauna rituals is when they throw the the water on the 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 hot rocks the fire they start slapping themselves with the birch mm. branches and i think they soak the birch branches in water but apparently like it, i've done it before it gets like this tingle on your skin cuz of the 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 steam coming off it like these little uh, droplets of water it's a it's an amazing experience that does sound amazing. I like that. And that they, so they do it to themselves. It's not like, because I know there's some sauna, like, I don't know if it's like Russian bathhouses or like. Oh, they, they do that. They, they do it to themselves. And I was actually in Estonia and they have a somewhat similar sauna culture, I think to a lesser degree. But uh, they, they, at this kind of rec center style place, they had a, a, a sauna boy or a sauna maestro <laughs> who took you through this whole sauna ritual. He had this crazy hat on, which. For like expert sauna goers, they they wear hats there because like it'll burn their hair. Okay. So he had he had the whole get up. He had the sauna hat on and he took you through the whole ritual, throwing the the water on the the, the rocks, hit hits you with the birch branch. He had a towel, so once you hit, you uh you spin the towel around and you get the the hot air moving, so it'll get like these wafts of air hitting your face. 
And then the best part is the the whatever's left over of the water, they'll ladle like the the water onto your head, oh, which is wow. cool. Wow. And then at that particular place there was a cold plunge that you got in after. To me that seems essential. Like doing mm-hmm. both together. I just I love it. Yeah, I was I, I haven't it. been fortunate to go to Finland in the winter. Uh, but usually there's these uh these cottages where they have the sauna right next to the lake and you oh, get into the frozen God. lake afterwards. Mm. 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 That's probably one of the only reasons why I'd want to go to Finland in the winter. Otherwise it's a little a little too cold. Well in Iceland, did you get to experience any of the contrasting? Or like how's that because you were the blue lagoon, right? Was that set up where you can get in cold water too? Or there was no cold water. None, so not the, even a cold shower or nothing. Not really. Wow. So the blue lagoon it was cool to be there, but it was honestly a bit of a letdown. It's extremely commercial. I bet. It's like a, it's a basically a resort. You pay like $80 to get in. It's, you go into a locker room, they have it all manufactured and you mm-hmm. go in and it's, it doesn't even feel real. I was talking to some of the locals and they said, you know, flashback to 25, 30 years ago, it was actually like a natural hot spring okay like, yeah they, they call it one of the 25 wonders of the world which is interesting because how many wonders of the world are there <laughs> question i mean i would say infinite infinite but <laughs> yeah. apparently it made the list um it made some list someone made but you know i'm glad i went but there there's a lot of other places in iceland with uh with more geothermal attractions the one that was was cooler we hiked maybe about three or four miles up to it it was a, a geothermal river Mm-hmm. that we just got in and it felt like you were you were just sitting in the bathtub oh nice. no that was that was nice. incredible but uh i didn't get i didn't get the opportunity to find any like super cold water with hot water next to it okay that's well, the, that's next time i know of plenty of spots in colorado i'm just not sure if i should say them out loud <laughs> yeah yeah wow okay <laughs> there was something else i definitely wanted to talk about after hearing all that did you know the oh yeah um First of all, a little side synchronicities. Rick Rubin, we sat with Rick Rubin in Asana. Wow. Yeah, we met him when we were doing the Rob Bros thing and we were training with Laird and Gabby with their like underwater training. Laird Hamilton? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. They have like, and they turned it into a business like, like slash system, like the mm-hmm. XPT life thing. I don't know if you've heard of this, but that's a great, I mean, we were kind of like uh, do beta testing with them in, in a way, but mm-hmm. it was epic. He's a very inspirational human uh rick rubin or, or Laird, uh, i mean both yeah, yeah all of them they they, they have they, that's what gabby even said because there was a few other people in the sauna like the guy that created braveheart and someone oh, oh tom shadyak how could i forget tom shadyak's the guy that made liar liar and ace ventura and we've stayed oh in touch gosh. with him and gabby's like you're in there with the all-star team and i had no idea who any of <laughs> the people were i was like i was just there <laughs> hanging out with Laird, and laird acts just like a little, i mean in my experience and i say this in the most complimentary way just like a little kid Mm-hmm. He's just like playing hard. He's a hardcore player. I've heard some stories about him, and apparently he he gets in the sauna and does like cardio exercises with oven mitts. We, yeah, we were doing weird things. Uh-huh. Like he had a setup <laughs> where we were getting real hot, probably like that Finland hot, and then mm-hmm. we were like pumping on that bike, and then oh, getting you did in it. The, and oh then getting gosh. no, not, the bike was outside though at oh, that time, okay. and then got in the ice, and then did these under the ones that really hurt us the most were the carrying the weights with Gabby. She like. I think that Laird and them were just like, oh, they just kind of taking us through the ritual. But mm-hmm. she like tried to test us, and mm-hmm. she that was that was tough. She's so, tough. She's strong. That's awesome. You got to share that experience with him. Yeah. My Ratana, my girlfriend, she buys his creamer sometimes. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. Have mm-hmm. you tried it? 
I've had it. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. I know they use that marine algae in some of their products, which I'm very curious about. Okay. Uh, like the coll- no, marine collagen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of, I don't know much about that, but I'm curious. Yeah, I think this one, this one for, for who it matters to is, is plant-based. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what they have both options, I think. And Laird is, uh, and speaking of the marine algae, Laird might be a dolphin. I don't know if you believe in like the human animals. <laughs> I, he seems like a dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then there was, uh, there was one more little thing about all this, but gosh, I'm just really thankful that we finally got to have this conversation out loud. And it's been really fun uh, play, getting to see you play disc golf. You know, I played, I got to see you play left-handed and, uh, you were throwing farther than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that was, that was on the, that was when I was on my comeback, you know, just trying to you know, play some rounds, get get used to the feeling again. But it's it's fun to throw left-handed and apply what you know to the opposite side of your body. Had you done that much before uh, the shoulder situation? Here and there. Usually when I, it's usually when I'm injured. Okay. Um, okay. I I injured my hand back in 2019, and that gave me about a month or two of playing left-handed, and that's kind of where <laughs> I figured, okay, this could be something I could cultivate into something. So I, I have it in my back pocket. So whenever I'm injured or trying to uh, potentially balance out the body because I'm so right side dominant, I'll start throwing some left-handed to balance the whole the whole uh, the whole system out. Makes sense. Um, I remembered what I was going to ask you about. For someone that's like inspired to play disc golf, which I think it's so awesome. I think it's mm-hmm. so fun. It's so cool. And like Timothy, my brother, just found out they had a tournament like down the road from him, and that, that was probably like a paid tournament. I mean just the possibilities that people are getting paid playing disc golf. And that, I did want to ask that about like, what is, what are people getting? Like, what's the ranking of and how many people are getting paid as a professional disc golfer? And then also to add onto that for someone that's never played or barely played, do you have any like um, ideas or perspectives or advices of how someone could start playing more and having more fun doing it? Yeah, for sure. So to the first part of the question, what are people getting paid? Yeah, like what's the range? Like some like people like my dad would be like, "What? People are getting paid to play?" So <laughs> like, what is the range? So <laughs> there's only two. I, there's only a handful of contracts that are public, uh, but the the ones that are Paul McBeth, who I talked about earlier in this this podcast, was uh, he signed a deal for ten years with his sponsor yeah. Discraft. For ten million dollars. Whoa! Come on. Uh huh. So applause. Admit, admit, <laughs> and that's just uh, that just was one sponsor. And with purses getting bigger, you know, you're gonna have your you're gonna have more money when you place high or win. So that's excluding that. Ricky Wysocki, who is kind of uh, I, he's he's definitely one. He's top five best ever, and probably you know probably arguably the best of this year. Uh, he's very consistent, two-time world champion. He signed a deal with Dynamic Discs for four years at $4 million. Wow. wow. So These guys, he's a million per year. Huh? So Come that's on. kind of like the benchmark. If you're really good, you can maybe make a million a year. Um, and that's probably on the low end of what you're guaranteed. There's more earning potential if you're out to hustle. Um, and then... Past that, I'm not really too sure about what anyone else makes other than myself. Uh, but it's safe to say that prop that I'd say the top 30 to 40 players in the world are able to make a 
comfortable living similar to what you would do at your your nine to five okay nice nice that's and but that's probably gonna go up i'm imagining the way things the are floor, looking the floor keeps being raised and, and do on, you want to share anything about your income or no i know you, you mentioned except yours i'm like <laughs> um i would just say that uh or how are you making most of your money yeah, so and do you look at this as like, you know, you, it's sad to hear about some of the athletes that lose all their money. And then it's, um, it's so inspiring to hear about how some athletes like Shaquille O'Neal is like, this guy probably has more money than he ever had as a basketball player is my guess. Yeah. Because he's sport, the athletes that take their um, financials seriously. Yeah. I, you know, first and foremost, you have to realize that you're in an incredible situation. And with sports in general, the window of making money is a lot shorter than say if you're in any other field because your best years are 20 to probably 35 so when you're making a lot of money you have to think about the future invest it you know put it away um so i've definitely been fortunate to be linked up with the right people the right mentors to help me put my money in the right place because i i realize that this is an opportunity that you might not get later on down the line um, but how, how I make money, uh, first is playing disc golf. Uh, you win, uh, tournament winnings. Uh, but I would say that is, that's a smaller percentage based off of, uh, you know, what I make. I make most of it by my main sponsor, Discmania. They provide, uh, provide me with signature series discs and other products, uh, that have my name on it. So I'm mm -hmm. paid, uh, it's an endorsement deal. I'm paid via royalties when they they sell. Nice, nice. on a, a quarterly basis. And what a name for! I mean, your name. <laughs> did your Did your parents know you were going to be a great disc golf player? Or like, um, were, they, were they remembering the future here with this name? I, I think remembering the future was probably probably what they ended up <laughs> doing because uh, they they I'd, I'd say that they were hippies uh, to a certain degree. But it was just out in Gun Barrel, not too far from here, kind of where the, the Golden Hoof is. There's a place called White Rocks. They were just sitting out there one day, and they were going through names. My name was supposed to be Patrick, or that's what my, my uh, grandparents, my mom's, or my, my dad's dad uh, wanted because his name's Pat. I would have been Patrick III. Um, they were thinking of other names like Colby or <laughs> something along those lines. And they just thought, you know what? Native Americans used to name their children after what they saw in nature and they saw an eagle and they said eagle and uh, my dad always tells me this story apparently there was a moment of silence and they said that's going to be it and that's that's how it came to be wow wow that's awesome I, I mean I'm very intrigued by the power of naming and names and how someone's name might be interwoven in their absolutely unfolding in their evolution I think that's pretty amazing. Okay, so now to the beginner disc golfer. Beginner disc golfer. If you've never touched a disc before and want to get out there, first thing, download the app UDisc. That's going to help you, one, keep score. Also, it's going to be the best resource for finding courses in your nearby Is area. Is that Y-O-U or the letter U? Uh, the letter U, D-I-S-C. Okay. Um, that'll be, uh, you can... One thing about it that's really cool is you can keep track of the professional scene, which is uh, just a bonus. But you know, keeping score, locating courses near you. I'm sure there's other uh, aspects of that you know if you keep score, you'll be able to track your stats. But uh, you know, UDisc is probably the first thing you want to do, and I believe UDisc actually helps you find stores 
to find disc golf discs. Okay. So you can find disc golf discs at a local retailer uh, for people just getting into it. Big box stores like uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, Sports Authority, or Academy Sports. Usually places like that have some discs. Um, but there's probably a disc golf store near you that you haven't heard of yet. Um, and then I got I to gotta plug my sponsor. Go to Discmania discmania.net and uh you'll, you can find a whole lineup of great discs there nice nice and then like for discs you know i, I like someone might go do this and then they're going to see the numbers and stuff mm -hmm. any like just simple tip tips that might not be so easy to come by without someone telling yeah you know there's there's a few general rules when picking out your first disc uh, if you're at a disc golf store, they'll be able to help you um, ask them questions. What would be a good beginner disc? Um, they will, they'll say some, something along the lines of you want understable, a little bit slower speed and uh, lighter weight. Different discs are different weights um, and probably, probably keep it around a mid-range or a fairway driver for your first disc. The better you get at throwing slower speed discs, the better. And if for People have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, the slower the speed, say a two or three speed disc, that's probably going to be along the lines of a putter. Uh, seven to eight speed disc going to be along the lines of a fairway driver. And then maybe 12, 13 speed is going to be a distance driver. Similar to different golf clubs. Think of putter as putter. And then uh, a mid range is going to be kind of like your nine iron or things, um, you know, stuff similar to that. And that's that's basically uh the gist of the the, the speed system it's kind of weird i know but uh definitely going to a disc golf store is going to help you the most because you're going to have the best resources there and the of uh, everyone working there will be at your disposal to talk to about getting the the right outfit for you and then you mentioned some throwing of feet like 300 or 350 is what you what were you saying about that as your recent throwing or um, yeah, for for forehanding. For forehanding. Yeah. I mean, let's talk some numbers here. Just, I mean, that's so easy for someone to understand that's never even thrown a disc. Like, how far are people throwing disc? And how far are you throwing disc? And what's the farthest? Like, mm -hmm. that just seems fun if someone does go pick up a disc and they want to measure mm -hmm. they go to a baseball field or wherever they go. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what a beginner throws. A beginner is probably gonna throw in the range of 100 to 250 feet at the top end. Uh, a more professional style player is going to be throwing you know, 300 to 500 feet. Mm. And 500, 500 is pretty far. Most uh, players out on tour, the best players, are consistently throwing 500 feet. Mm. But to get from wow. 500 to 600, that's a really steep jump. It's kind of like a bell-shaped curve. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And the for for record, the furthest recorded throw is over eleven hundred feet. <laughs> but that 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 can be. There's some controversy surrounding that <laughs> because it was done out in the desert with sixty to seventy mile per hour wind. You got to think of throwing a, a a disc straight up in the air, exposing the bottom side of the disc, and essentially letting the wind take it like the kite. Yeah. Granted. The one good argument is the person who threw it is still the biggest thrower in the sport, in my opinion. Uh, okay. Like he okay. he he constantly wins distance competitions. So I don't think Who's that? his name's David Wiggins. David Wiggins. He knows far disc. I, I don't think that there. Uh, I don't think you can discredit his record because 
he is such a far thrower. But average golf distance for a top level player is going to be 500 to 600 feet. <laughs> Did and he go out that day intentionally throwing the world record? Was that what it was? That's what they win? were out there trying to okay, do. Okay, cool. Yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. I mean, are, do, does people throw anything farther? Is there anything farther people throw? I want to say a boomer. There are certain uh, boomerangs that are engineered so they don't come back. Okay. They don't come back to you. I want to say that someone's thrown maybe 2,000 feet, just gotten the perfect perfect oh, wow. throw. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Have you ever thrown boomerangs? Uh, a little bit here and there, but I don't have too much experience. Yeah, that sounds all of a sudden more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about not having it to come back to me, but how um, far can I throw it? On that note, my notebook fell, and that was at one hour and 11 minutes. Anything you want to ask me? Next podcast. Nice. <laughs> nice. And uh, what about you? What's your far, like, what is your farthest throw just on that? Uh, I, I always get this question, and I never have like a great answer because I've never been out to the desert where that's where people go to measure their furthest throws. Okay, yeah. But uh, it seems like there should be a standard field somewhere. Like there, this, there really should be. This is the field where you throw how far you can throw. That's kind of what the desert was, but there's a whole, there's whole, there's a bunch of conversations talking whether it should be there because of the wind, whether it should be wind assisted or not. I threw a really amazing drive uh, in a tournament last year and I essentially put it under the basket on a par four, got the eagle, and the hole was pretty flat, and the hole was at 730 feet. Whoa. So, so that's, that's, that's one of my best throws. I, mean, I would say in some distance competitions, I've gotten around 730, 750. Wow. Um, and uh, I'd say consistently I'm throwing anywhere from 525 to 575 feet. But it's, uh, there's there's a lot of different variables, a lot of different factors uh, with wind, elevation. So it's hard to say exactly how far. But 600 feet is what I'm aiming for if I was on flat ground with a, a full flighted throw. That's pretty amazing. Well, I will say when I've played the few times I've played with you, there was that one time in particular, or maybe a couple times in particular, where like kids are running up to you for your autograph. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. And I was telling your dad, like, that must be super amazing for him. <laughs> like to think of like me playing a game with Davina one day and people running up for her autograph for the game we're playing. Like, wow, what a dream. It's, it's pretty surreal. Going out to a disc golf course, it, it just shows how the, the professional side of the sport has had an impact on people you know, everywhere throughout the country. Uh, they'll, they know who I am going out to the courses here in town and uh, I, can, I can get interactions like that here in Boulder. When I go to Finland, it's even more so. Wow. So wow, the, the fact awesome. that it's, it, the growth of the sport um, is, is worldwide and uh, so many people are, are playing the game that helped me you know, shape who I am as a person. You know, it's the, the medium that I use to better myself, the, to kind of gauge. Uh, you know, I w- I'm saying this in the most positive way, like my success in life. It's pretty incredible that uh, I've been able to have this opportunity to uh, play with play with frisbees in the woods, essentially. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, talking about that, one of my original inspirational authors, and I know we're going a little over time here, but thanks for breaking normal with me, um, was this guy that wrote the book um, Radical Honesty. His name is Brad Blanton. 
And uh, we met him and interviewed him. That wasn't when the Breaking Normal podcast. It was like with the Rob Bras. I think we even had a thing called Vitamin RB or something on YouTube at that point. <laughs> but he he always had this idea that like the most enlightened people on earth um, are stand-up comedians and golfers. Okay. I I can see why you might think like that. It's like the most Zen enlightening activity. Like the and I mean for me, I think disc golf is even cooler than golf. And this I don't I don't love I actually it's almost like a pet peeve, like manufactured golf courses where mm-hmm. they um oh gosh, who knows? Talking about spraying, who knows what's on oh, yeah. those things. I kinda like the ruggedness and like making something out of this space that hasn't been used. And then having just countless people enjoy, like, spend more time in nature doing explosive, like, aimed activity. Mm-hmm. I think it's super cool. I think disc golf is awesome. It's very unique. And uh, how you can express your own self in your own style is it's very hard to see, like, another sport that you can have so much of your own style. Like, golf, there, there, there's a lot of nuances, but... In my opinion, disc golf, it's so in your face that, wow, this guy throws 600 feet and this guy throws 600 feet, but they look so different while doing it, mm. especially like with their, their putting strokes, forehand, just the way everyone's body moves is so like different, but also has the same similarities. You can definitely get your own style, something like skateboarding. Um, you can be your own artist. Yeah, the, and the, just the opportunity to, you can do it by yourself, but the social aspect of it's epic too. I, yeah. I love the social aspect of it. And very, it does seem to be like kind of like a ganja hippie friendly. It, it definitely, it, it definitely <laughs> but, is. I mean, also the, in Boulder, so I don't know, maybe, I'm not sure in like Georgia, but everyone's smoking around here, it seems. I, I would say on the, the more local courses, people want to get off work. They want to have some fun with their friends. Um but there's definitely becoming more of a niche for the professional side where you know kids over in Finland are clean cut, taking it seriously. That's awesome. Playing every day, working hard in the gym. The whole new guard of of people um, that are going to be into the getting into the sport is going to be impressive. There's uh, there's going to be some like actual super athletes getting into disc golf and. I, I can only imagine what that might look like. Well, you being one of them, so thanks for showing us. I got I got to keep uh, keep up with the kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, man. This has been a, a lot of fun and definitely to be continued. You have a tournament this weekend. I mean, how do if someone wants to go watch a tournament, like, am I do people watch these tournaments coming up? They like, or what's this tournament this weekend? Yeah, so there's different uh, ranking systems or um, or different sanctions. Up- for different styles of events. So uh, PDGA is uh, kind of the governing body of our sport. It's kind of like the PGA in golf or the NBA. And uh, they have a diff for this one, there's a C tier, which is actually the lowest tier. And it okay. goes B, A, elite, and then major. Um, so it's just a local event that uh, our clubs are putting on. Uh, it's the Boulder County Disc Golf Championship. So I feel obligated to... Uh, play for my county try mm-hmm. to defend my county from the out-of-towners um but that that will be uh by the time this podcast out it'll already happen but uh that's in longmont and at the courses here in boulder valmont and harlow but if you want to watch uh, go to the pdga you can go to the event search see what events are happening near you um but for the for the elite series disc golf pro tour just uh go to the disc golf pro tours uh website and they'll have all the information on the the elite level events do people pay for tickets to go watch in um, person yes uh-huh Th- this event this weekend would be free because there's no there's no sort of limit 
Uh, there's no spectating passes or anything. There's probably going to be very minimal spectators. But the big events, people are starting to pay to go spectate. They're, um, the Disc Golf Network offers a, a pay-per-view option for each event or just a membership that you can watch live disc golf year-round. Or they have uh, content on their channel year-round. But uh, the, the season's typically from late February to mid-October. And then, so this is the end of the season in a way. Can anyone enter this tournament tomorrow? Um, anyone could ha could have entered tomorrow because it's a C tier. You don't have to be C tier. C tier. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to be a PDGA current. You don't have to be a PDGA member or play C tier. But anything B tier or higher, you need to sign up for the PDGA to be eligible to play the Interesting. event. Interesting. So yeah. anyone could sign up tomorrow and win. Anyone could. I don't think there's spots left anymore. Oh, okay. There. Yeah. Cool. But uh -huh. for someone that might have just like signed up last second from out of town. Yeah, they could win. What do they win? What do they win on a C tier event like this? Um, there's different divisions. So I'm playing pro, but there's uh, there's some amateur divisions. Usually, usually pro divisions win money. Mm -hmm. uh, all the money that uh, people use to enter the event, like I think it was thirty five dollars to enter this this tournament. Where whereas like uh, the major events in elite series are more like two hundred to two hundred fifty to play. Um, but you know, thirty five dollars that will get. Uh, all added to a pool that will be divided up amongst uh, the top 45, I think it's 40% of the field, okay. uh, winner taking the most and so on and so forth. And then the amateur divisions, uh, they either do a player pack, so you'll get you know value um, for just signing up for an event that's uh, you know, either a disc with the tournament stamp on it, a shirt, or sometimes they... Uh, We'll just give out uh, value in merchandise, disc golf gear, um, bag, shirts, uh, gift cards, things like that. Wow. Okay, that's cool. And then, uh, are you? Is there a chance that like you're a little bit? Is this like a more nerve wracking event for you by any chance? Because it's local. Like um, because when you said that, like defending the ball of your city here, I'm like, wow, that all of a sudden sounds a little more pressure than it sounds a little more pressure than just casual all of a sudden. I I would say that I'm slightly nervous but you re i really shouldn't be nervous about this event like this is definitely probably the smallest event i've played this year okay um so i i shouldn't be all that nervous i think the mo the most pressure i have is the the fact that i'm expected to win yeah yeah against all the other competition like and uh you know that's pressure on myself because the thing about golf as you could say the one guy saying like Golf is one of the most humbling things you can do, like the most zen, because you can go win the biggest tournament, but then you still have to go play. If you play a small tournament, you could still lose there. So yeah. you always have to respect wow. the sport of disc golf, res respect what you're doing, and uh, put full intention to being your best. <laughs> nice, nice. Nerve, nerves, like, is there, what's the, do you just get, do you get nervous in the biggest tournaments you play? Um, I wouldn't I feel a little bit nervous on maybe the first tee, um, first round, uh, but then it kind of subsides. The only time that I can feel legitimate nerves and pressure is when I'm threatening for the 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 win at the end of an event, or am I, or if I'm if it's close in any yeah. sort of way. If I'm up, it's one of the most stressful is like playing with a lead. If you're start the round up four or five strokes you're expected to keep that lead and win the event. So you constantly have that pressure and you're nervous that it could go wrong at any point. You could uh, you know, lose lose confidence in yourself. So you get some bad breaks and the, the guy in second is suddenly in first. So you always have to 
respect the game and put full intention into each shot to uh, you know keep pace with the rest of the field or you know, keep pace with uh, your own expectations. And on that note, <laughs> I'm just like throwing in all the questions <laughs> I can real quick over the clock ticks down. Um, the, the idea of someone signing, you know, wanting your autograph, who would you want to, like right now, like who would you dream to get their autograph the most? Like whatever, whatever sport or whatever ball or whatever, if it's on, on your arm, is there anyone that comes to mind? Like, man, I would love to meet that person and get their autograph. I have never been like that kind of person, really. <laughs> yeah. Because w- one thing that my dad t- told me at, at one point in my life when I was getting into sports uh, I wanted to, I was really into the New England Patriots and I uh, wanted like a Tom Brady jersey. I, uh, I'm not a Patriots fan anymore. Um, <laughs> just to get, put that out there. Um, he said, if you get a jersey, get it with your own name. You don't have to like worship someone else. Mm-hmm. So I, he kind of instilled in me that like, you know, be kind of your own hero in a, in a way. Come on. What so, a great fatherly advice from a future podcast guest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't wait for that podcast. That would be, be a great one. But, you know, there, there are a lot of people I respect and, you know, like to meet um, probably the people who, you know, ask the most out of themselves and reach higher limits. People like Cameron Haynes or David Goggins, those people are really inspire me. The, I would what's the word i'm looking for the high achievers of the of the world those are really inspirational to me mm-hmm. well this will be the last one i think what any what has been most what's been most like <laughs> catalytic for you to be a high achiever is there any rituals or is it just a mindset or a philosophy or a religion mm-hmm. or a little uh, rabbit paw that you carry in your pocket you, <laughs> for the, because I know kid like I've seen I've seen first eyes how much kids respect you so you know someone might take this they might do something with this answer mm-hmm. for me I owe I owe almost everything to being from Boulder it, as weird as that sounds I feel like so much inspiration comes from this city um, the fact that I was raised here and was taken to play my first round of disc golf, being uh, you know pushed around in the baby jogger by my mom and dad when they were showing their love for outdoors. I feel like it's uh, shaped who I am as a person to appreciate the outdoors, appreciate food because my my parents they started going all these raw food uh, vegan places, uh, had a community, and uh, just uh, it it shaped my outlook on life and coming back here you know in contrast to so many places i go it's so beautiful and i can take so much inspiration and uh it's such a it's such a forward-thinking town and people are riding bikes being outside being active that i can take inspiration from them uh it's, it's it's really a hot spot for people trying to better themselves and uh live at their highest form and uh i find a lot of um inspiration in that Man, that means a lot to me because this is, you know, after be gone to every state, traveled as long as I have, this is where I'm choosing to live. Mm-hmm. It's and, a powerful place. And I'm taking the community quite sincerely. And funny enough, I don't know if you know, I think you probably do, but like the Move Chiropractic community, a lot of them met, or at least Ryan met the Sarah and Travis at a meetup I hosted, uh, like uh-huh. a meet up. Literally, we were there to eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we were eating antelope, uh, pronghorn burgers. 
Sounds good. Um, <laughs> and that's just, I, I thank you for reminding me of the power of community and how much I uh, intend on giving to this community and how much it's already given back to me and what a great synergy we're in. Mm -hmm. I do think uh, this interview is very uh, catalytic to the Boulder community. Absolutely. And I intend on doing more of those meetups, especially now that you're eating meat. Mm -hmm. So meet up. <laughs> yeah, we'll make a, uh -huh. one of my friends a long time ago created like an acronym like meat men eating animals together. And I'm like, uh -huh. I've always wanted to do something with that. So we'll see what happens. But mm -hmm. uh, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, that nod to Boulder. I, I agree. I, now that I'm growing up here, I really love it. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Well, thank you, man. Uh, how did the best place for people to stay in touch with you or follow your journey? What do you, what do you recommend for keeping in touch if they haven't known about you before? Um, the two easiest things are my Instagram. It's eagle underscore WMCM. Uh, I'll go live on there occasionally, uh, just make some posts about tournament recaps. Um, occasionally, I get on some good, uh, good runs of uploading videos to YouTube. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, maybe, I watched the one recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a cool video. In the, in the past, I've done things called Vlogmas, where I make a video every day from December 1st up until Christmas. Uh -huh, uh, nice. That's a lot of work. Uh, usually, it's disc golf-related content up uh, over there, but uh, I like to put my own uh, kind of uh, unique spin on it. So those are two places. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me, Daniel. This was uh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll keep breaking normal. See you all soon. Appendix, top 10 hacks for breaking normal. Number one, wake up. Wake up naturally, no alarms, no electronic devices, and don't stress about doing it. Simply do it if and when you want to. Sleep when you're tired and wake up when you're rested. Simple, right? It is. But look at how many challenges we create for ourselves by not doing it. Look at all the stress that comes from trying to outsmart our bodies rather than work with them. For what? We all know how good it feels going to bed on Friday night knowing that we get to sleep in on Saturday morning. It's wonderful. Even the thought of it makes us smile. So why don't we do it every night? Why don't we surrender to sleep when our bodies tell us? Stay asleep as long as it needs and wake up when it naturally wants because it's not realistic, because it's not practical. Actually, it's very realistic, very practical, and what's more, it's very sensible. It took quite a story to convince us otherwise. Imagine going to bed every night with a feeling of abundance rather than scarcity. Imagine getting all the sleep you need and desire. How could that abundance not carry over into the rest of your day? Perhaps the resistance to this idea Writing it off because you think it is impossible is indicative of how far you've actually strayed. Sure, you might have to make some other life changes in order to make it happen, but by changing the way you wake up, you might actually wake up. Number two, cold shower and or polar plunge after getting out of bed. Cold water is a game changer. It wakes you up better than coffee or tea, not that I'm against either, and provides huge health benefits. It is a natural stimulant to the sympathetic nervous system, increases alertness, reduces inflammation, circulates blood and lymph, accelerates metabolism, enhances immune function, and speeds recovery. 
Cold water is a good spiritual practice. You can think about it all you want. You can stand in the shower with your hand on the knob or dip your toe in the water in procrastination. But eventually, you get to turn off your mind and jump in. Cold showers get you fun, comfortable first thing in the morning, reinforcing the daily habit of going outside your comfort zone because that's where all the growth takes place. And if you don't have what it takes to practice being fun, comfortable in the comfort of your own home, what business do you have being fun, comfortable in front of a crowd? How will you lead others to grow if you can't lead yourself? Number three, hydrate. The solution to pollution is dilution. When you think you are hungry, drink some water first, the best water you can get, infused with fresh lemon. You might find, after drinking a liter or so, that you weren't actually hungry, only thirsty. If you do eat afterwards, however, your digestion will be improved. Lemon has healthy enzymes, electrolytes, and vitamin C, and helps alkalize the body. Chew your water. Drink it slowly. Swish it in your mouth. Mix it with saliva before swallowing it down. Drink water first thing in the morning before eating breakfast, and drink plenty more throughout the day. Number four, sit in the sun, naked. Not only for the vitamin D, not only because it's fun comfortable, not only because it increases healthy hormone production, gives you energy and makes you grow, do it because it feels good. Do it because it is your birthright. Find the balance between too much sun and too little sun. Bonus, get grounded while you're at it. Go barefoot in the grass, in the dirt, on the beach, etc. Shoes are great, but the shadow side is that they might separate us from the Earth's electric current. So go outside with your shoes off and see how your mood changes. Water, paradoxically, is also grounding. Walk through a creek, in the rain, or beneath a waterfall. Not only will this ground you, it will flood you with mood-enhancing negative ions. Maybe kids have so much energy and spirit because they run barefoot through the grass while playing with hoses and sprinklers. Number five, consciously eat local, organic, in-season foods with an attitude of gratitude for each ingredient and how it got to you. Take a moment to smell your food, look at your food, touch it, appreciate it, and pray for it. Maybe the degree to which you can be grateful for your food is the degree to which your food will be good for you. Know that what you are eating is turning into you, becoming a part of your body, providing fuel for your fire. Drink your food and chew your water. Number six, functional fitness. Keyword, fun. Working out can be fun. So whatever that means to you, that's what I'd advise you to do. Sometimes I do it outside, in the sun, in the grass, doing whatever I feel, like a 100% effort. Sprints, handstands, squats, pull-ups, dead hangs, etc. I get more done in seemingly less time, though in actuality, time itself is flying by because I'm having fun. Other days I go to the gym because that's what I feel like doing. Those days might be more traditional workouts, but I upgrade them by simultaneously listening to motivational speeches and mixes. It's a heightened sensory experience. Rather than only hearing the words, I feel them with my whole body. I absorb them into my mind, heart, muscles, and lungs. Literally, I am growing inside out, strengthening inside and out, 
overcoming resistance externally while pushing myself internally. Bonus, listen to audiobooks while getting massages. It feels as if the words are being rubbed directly into you, allowing you to absorb more of what you're learning. Number seven, tell the truth. Practice being more honest in your daily life and relations. Use this phrase to get you over that hump of resistance. I have something I want to share, but I observe that I'm nervous to do so. Typically for me, that earns a thoughtful expression out of my listener and they give me the floor. Number eight, meditate and pray. Prayer is when you're speaking to God. Meditation is when you're listening to God. Recognize or experiment with the idea that whenever you are speaking, you are praying, and whenever you are listening, you are meditating. Everything you say is a prayer, and even if it seems like no one is listening, the Creator can hear every word. Conversely, whenever you are listening, listen closely because God is telling you something. Number nine, get paid to do the things you love to do, the things you would pay to do, and or the things you would continue to do regardless of whether you're getting paid to do them. Those things that make time and space disappear from consciousness are tied closely to your gift. You love to do them, and you give your love by doing them. Make the choice to live in that state of natural abundance, which is unavoidable and everywhere you look. Make your work be something that fills you up, for that is the most sustainable job you can have. Number 10, do these exercises. I've found that the best way to do these exercises is to conduct your own workshops for friends and family. First, give testimonials about how much you yourself have gotten out of these exercises. Second, extend the invitation for other people to join you. Invite them to invest time and money in something that you are willing to put on because of the results you yourself have gotten. Giving them the opportunity to invest money in the experience catalyzes them to get the value out of it. Third, take the lead and go first. If it's the confession exercise, you confess first. If it's the notice and imagine exercise, you go first. If it's the sharing judgments exercise, share your judgments. Lastly, team up with the people who seem most stoked by these ideas to attract even more attractive people. <laughs>